started on this sermon series, and I think it's a very important series for us because this idea of discipleship, it's all about becoming like Jesus. And, and so as we begin the series, I want us to understand that Jesus is our role model. Now, I wanted to say that at the beginning of this message today because like any kid who, who looks at an athlete or, or an actor or a parent and says, you know, I want to be just like him or her when I grow up. I want them to be our hero. A disciple is one, a follower of Jesus is one, who says, I want to be just like him. Now, why is it that we want to be like our heroes? We want to be like them because our heroes have accomplished something in their lives that we admire. As a kid, I had a, I had a number of people that I wanted to be like. In baseball, I wanted to be like Mickey Mantle. In basketball, I wanted to be like Wilt Chamberlain. That didn't work. (laughs) In football, I wanted to be like O.J. Simpson until, well, you know. I can just speak like, there we go. Have we got it now? Back to the topic. I even had some non-sports heroes that I wanted to emulate and be like. I, uh, I wanted to be just like my grandfather. You know why? My grandfather loved Jesus. He loved the Yankees. He was a genuine cowboy. And I am talking a genuine old-time cowboy. He could sing. He could lead song service. Well, I got most of that, I think, except the cowboy part. That didn't work out so well. And even into my teen years, there were, there were those whose lives I wanted to emulate in my own. I, I loved the, the, the voices, the guys who sang with the Oak Ridge Boys, and I thought, man, I want to be like them someday. I'd, I'd listen to Bill Gaither, who wrote The King is Coming, and I'd, I'd think to myself, you know, I want to write songs and, and sing them like the Gaithers. But most importantly, and, and this, is, this was something that really struck me here a couple of weeks ago as I was getting ready to prepare this message. I can never think of a time in my life When in my heart, I didn't want to be like Jesus. I can't think of that time when I didn't want to be like Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There were many times when I didn't look very much like Jesus. But even in those times, I I can recall that I thought to myself, I know I'm not doing a good job of it, but... I want to be like Jesus. It's always been there. You see, from the first Sunday that I was here on this earth, I began hearing about all of those admirable things that Jesus accomplished during his life 
here on this planet. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to do some of the things that Jesus did? Wouldn't it be wonderful to to be able to do miracles as Jesus performed the miracles that he did? And and the, the, the amazing thing is, Jesus even told us while he was here, he said, greater things than these that I do, you shall do. Because I'm going to my Father, and and what he meant by that was when he ascended back to heaven to his Father, he sent to us what I believe to be the most powerful force available to man, the Holy Spirit of God. And for those of us who believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, His Holy Spirit lives right here inside of us and is ready and waiting for us to access the power that He's made available to us. So we talk about all the things that were admirable that Jesus accomplished in His life. We think of all the the people who, who believed in God, who who submitted their lives and surrendered their lives to God through, from, the, from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Old Testament and then into the life of, uh, of, of Jesus during his earthly ministry. And then in the Gospel of Acts, we, we read about the Apostle Paul and, and we read about those who came to saving faith as a result of Paul's ministry. Those people are my heroes. If you haven't read the 11th chapter of, of Hebrews recently, I like to refer to it as as the Hall of Faith chapter. We have the Hall of Fame that we elect people to, different kinds of of, halls of fame. This is the Hall of Faith chapter, those whose lives were lived in such an exemplary fashion that the the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to Hebrews to to put them down in this 11th chapter and, and to tell us of the things that they accomplished as a result of Jesus in their heart and life. I'm not going to read chapter 11 for you in its entirety. I'll let you do that later. But if you'll remember, in the original translation, there weren't these things called chapters and verses. They were just continuing stories. Now, we have... We've separated them into chapters and verses for the sake of being able to recall how to find them. And that's all well and good, but if you come to the end of Hebrews chapter number 11, in the original translation, it went into what we now call Hebrews chapter number 12. And I want to share with you, as my text this morning, the first two verses of Hebrews 12, because they're so amazing. The writer says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to the amazing things that God has accomplished in their lives, those in chapter 11 and in ours. But he goes on to say, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, some translations say the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Do you want to be like Jesus? You know, Jesus engaged all the forces of evil, held men captive and kept them alienated and separated from God. And this writer says that in spite of all of that, he has now been glorified in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the throne. And as a result, the Bible tells us, in addition to all of that, that one day Jesus is going to be hailed by everyone as being the ultimate hero. You go to the book of Philippians chapter number 2 and you read beginning in verse number 9 these words, for this reason, that is Jesus dying on the cross for us, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That tells me his name should be at the top of your hero list. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so here's our inspiration for wanting to look like Jesus. The Bible tells us that one day every one of us who have given our lives to Jesus will be like him in the sense that that we will live in perfect obedience to the Father and we are going to share in the eternal victories that Jesus has won for us. Now I want you to soak that statement in for just a moment. How many of you would join me in saying that you have difficulty from time to time living in perfect obedience to God? I have all the time in the world. We all do. Why? Because we're sinful human flesh. And as long as we are, we're never going to be living in perfect obedience to God. But hear these words from Jesus' disciple John. They're found in the book of 1 John, chapter number 3, beginning with verse 2. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when He appears... We will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, speaking of Jesus, is pure. Now, I've read that verse for many, many years. My buddy Dwayne and I used to sing a song about in, in which the words of that verse were the main part of the song. We shall be like him. But every time I read those words, I just have to say to myself, are you kidding me? I'm going to be like Jesus? Yes. I'm going to be like him. In fact, there are two things mentioned in that passage that I think are going to make heaven such a wonderful place. One, and most obviously, we're going to be with Jesus. Amen? 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, again beginning with verse number 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place. Everybody say this with me. A place for you. A place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Now that's the first good thing. But secondly, John also says in that passage that not only will will we be with Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus. Now come on, friends. One day in heaven, we're going to be with him, and we're going to be just as he is, living in perfect obedience to the Father. Now I could stop right there, and you will have received all the good news that you need to make it through the next week. But since you know me well enough by now, you know that I'm not going to stop there. And the reason why is because I have some even better news for you. Better news than being with him and being like him. Can you believe that? Better news? And here it is. We don't have to wait until we go to heaven to start becoming like him. Anybody interested? I thought so. Listen to me, friends. The will of God for every one of us in this room today is that we seek to be like Jesus every day that we have remaining in this life. Every day. Walking in obedience to the will of the Father and sharing in the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross of Calvary. It's possible for each of us here today to have that. In our lives. Here's the way we do it. The first step. We have to set priorities. In that 12th chapter of Hebrews from which we read earlier, the writer talked about laying aside everything that hinders from becoming like Jesus. Now listen to me, friends. Again, I have learned, and I'm sure you have as well, that if we're not careful, we can find that there are things of lesser importance that crowd out those things that ought to be prioritized in our life. What kind of things? What type of priorities am I talking about? Things like relationships, activities, possessions, Anything that holds us back in our pursuit of becoming more like Jesus is a misplaced priority. We have to learn to prioritize the things that will cause us to become more like he is. Now, hearing that, you may be thinking, Terry, you're messing with me. Because all of those things that you just mentioned, they're a large part of my life. Yes, they are. And I'm glad you picked up on that. Because those are the things that we need to reprioritize in order to make the things that are really important a priority. The Apostle Paul's commitment in his life to becoming like Jesus 
He describes for us, close to that passage that I read from earlier in Philippians chapter number 2, if you go over just one chapter to chapter number 3, verse number 14, Paul says this, I reach forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What prize does God have waiting in heaven for those of us who believe? Christ-likeness. That's the prize. Paul says his commitment was to progress toward Christ-likeness in the here and now, to live his life in such a way as to become more and more like Jesus every day, and then when he gets to that place of that heavenly calling, he claims what John said in that other passage that we read. Then when we see him as he is, we're going to be like him. In every way, we're going to be like Jesus. Friends, the only way you will ever live your life to the fullest is if you set as your number one priority in life becoming more and more like Jesus. I can can tell you with a 100% degree of certainty that's the only way your life will ever find its true meaning and purpose. In fact, Jesus said, and this is where it gets even better, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, he says, seek. Now the Amplified Version says, in regard to that word seek, to aim at, to strive after. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will bring all these other things. I mentioned them earlier. Relationships activities, possessions, the things that you and I are passionate about. He's going to bring all of those other things back to our lives just as we desired them in the first place if, if we place the kingdom of God and His righteousness as our number one priority in life. The only way to live life to the fullest is to live it like Jesus lived his life. Now, in addition to setting priority, the priority of becoming like Jesus, I secondly must seek purity in my life. The writer to Hebrews said there in Hebrews 12, lay aside every weight, or, or another translation says, throw off the sin that so easily ensnares or entangles us. Now, it's just good common sense, at least I think, and it stands to reason that I cannot be like Jesus if I continue to give place to the devil in my life. How do I give place to the devil? By clinging to sin. Let me explain it this way. It's one thing to fail and to fall down. How many of you have ever failed? It's one thing to fail and fall down and then confess your sin and recommit yourself to pursuing Christ-likeness and moving forward. But friends, it's an altogether different thing to cling to a sinful activity, a sinful attitude, a sinful arrangement with no desire whatsoever to turn away from it. Those are two entirely different things. 
You understand that while in this life, we can't be Christ-like, at least in terms of perfection. But we still can make every effort to be heading in that way. Amen? But here's the deal. If we have sin in our lives that we refuse to turn away from, we'll eventually find ourselves stuck, unable to move forward toward this idea of Christ-likeness. Why? Because we've camped at the spot where our favorite sin is. We refuse to move away from that spot. And what's worse is if we refuse to move away from that sinful activity, that sinful attitude, that that sinful arrangement in our lives. Here's what happens. We take ourselves out from under the protecting umbrella of God. And we instead give place to the devil. And let me tell you what happens when we give place to the devil at the favorite place we've camped in where our sin is. He's going to take advantage of that spot that we've chosen to set up camp in. And he's going to make our lives in the here and now a living hell. You mark my word. I've seen it happen too many times. That's why the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 27, don't give an opportunity to the devil. Don't, don't give him any, any room to maneuver in your life. Let me explain it this way. The devil knows that once we've made a profession of faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he knows he can't take us to hell. But here's what he does know. If we refuse to turn away from the sin in our life and continue to camp in that spot where our favorite sin is, we are granting him permission to make our lives a living hell. I saw an illustration that I thought really said it best. A certain man wanted to sell his house. Another man wanted very badly to buy it, but because he was poor, poor, he couldn't afford the full price that the owner was asking. But after much negotiation and a lot of bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price with just one stipulation. And here it is. It's It's strange, but this is a stipulation. He would retain ownership of one small nail protruding from just over the door at the front of the house. Well, after several years, the original owner decided that he wanted his old house back. But the new owner was unwilling to sell it back to him. So what did the first owner do? He goes out and he finds the carcass of a dead animal. And he brings it to that house and he hangs it from the single nail above the door of the house. The only part of the house that he still owned. And soon, as you might have guessed, getting into the house became impossible because of the stench. The family that had bought his house originally, couldn't stand the stench of the house anymore, so they moved out, enabling the original owner to move back in and take possession. The point of the story, if we leave the devil even one small peg in our lives, 
he's going to find a way to hang his rotting garbage on it. Make our lives eventually unlivable. Again, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter number 3, verse number 16, and I'm going to kind of give a Reader's Digest synopsis of these three verses, 16 through 19. Here's what he says. I pray that Christ will grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, and that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, be filled with all, say the word all, all the goodness of God. All the goodness of God. Not just 99.5% of the goodness of God, retaining the other 5% for whatever your favorite sin might be, but all the goodness of God, the fullness of God. Grasp this, friends. A Christ-like life is not something that I live for Christ. It's rather something that Christ lives through me. What was the old song we used to sing? Oh, to be his hands extended, reaching out to the impressed. That's what Christ wants to do through us. He wants to live his life vicariously through us. Not so he can have a bit of our life, but so that we can have a lot of his life. Amen? And if Jesus Christ is going to live his life through me, he has to be made to feel at home in my heart. Let me tell you something, friends. Jesus and sin aren't going to resign and reside in the same household. And so if he's going to feel at home in my heart, it's going to be because I've given the entirety of my heart to him and not reserved anything for those things that appeal to me. When the devil, though, through my having sinned, having sin in my life that I refuse to turn away from, is given permission to, to stink up my life, so to speak, Jesus will not be at home, nor will he be free to live the life that he desires to live through me. fact is, if Christ is my hero, I'm going to want to be like him. And if I want to be like Jesus, one of the keys to making that possible is finding and seeking purity in my everyday life. And that brings me to my third and final point. I have to surrender perseveringly. The writer of Hebrews said that we must run with endurance the race that lies before us. Now I'm certain by now that you've already figured this out, as I have, that on this side of heaven... Christ-likeness doesn't come instantly. Anybody any different than that? Doesn't come instantly. Think of it in terms of, of an Olympic athlete. He or she, for the entirety of their lives, they have this, they have this goal of, of someday winning an Olympic gold medal. And so with that being their goal, what do they do? They have to endure intense training. They have to have personal discipline in their diet and, and exercise, discipline over their bodies. And they have to have a commitment to doing the things that are necessary to make winning an old Olympic gold medal possible. Why? Why is that important to them? Because 
The Olympic gold medal represents being the best, the fastest, the strongest, the most accurate, whatever the personal discipline that they're working on is. But just imagine, just imagine the feeling of your chest hitting the tape at the finish line of a long Olympic race. You hit that tape, and you secure not only your gold medal, but you secure the satisfaction of knowing that you are the best in the world at whatever that particular discipline might be. The goal that you've worked for your entire life. My friends, I can tell you again, with 100% certainty, that an Olympic gold medal cannot compare with the prize of a heavenly calling. Being completely like Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus, spending eternity in heaven is worth whatever the endurance, the training, and the commitment requires of us in this life. Living our lives in pursuit of being just like Jesus is something that requires more than a daily commitment. Daily committing ourselves to becoming more like Jesus. We have to be willing to allow God to use whatever He sovereignly deems appropriate to conform us into the image of His Son. Did you hear that? Being willing to allow God to use whatever to conform us into the image of His Son. Whatever it takes. That's the point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make when he wrote the book of Romans and what we have as chapter number 8. It says, gives us a verse that's very familiar to most of us. Verse number 28, he says, We know that all things work together. All things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. For those he, speaking of God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, made like the image of his son Jesus, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Friends, God's purpose in us is to make us look like Jesus. And he's using everything that happens in our lives to accomplish that purpose. The writer to Hebrews told us that, that whatever the race God, that God has laid out before us, whatever the race is, whatever it might bring our way, we can rest assured that if we will walk in loving relationship with Him and surrender daily to His purpose of making us more like His Son Jesus, then that is exactly what will happen. We will win the race. Hear me on this if you haven't heard anything else that I've said this morning. God is more interested in developing Christ-like character in your life than He is in making life comfortable for you. <laughs> now, I fully realize that some of you may think that's not what I signed up for when I signed up for this following Jesus thing. That doesn't make it any less true. God is much more interested in developing Christ-like character in your life than He is in providing you with a comfortable life. And in closing, that first verse of Hebrews 12, 
the writer referred to this large cloud of witnesses. I prefer to think of them as heroes of the faith. Why do I think of them in that way? Well, all of those that are talked about in chapter number 11, which we didn't read, but which you're going to this afternoon, amen? All of those mentioned in chapter 11, they persevered in daily surrendering to God's will for their lives. And though many of them did not live a life of comfort, they each lived a life characterized by Christ-likeness. The reason I like to think of them as heroes of my faith is because the same can be said about many of those whose lives I want to emulate. That I have watched the way that they walk in this life. Many of them didn't necessarily live a life of comfort, but their lives were characterized by Christ-likeness. True disciples whose lives looked a lot like the life that Jesus lived while He was here on the earth. Now, why is this important for us? I can tell you in one statement. The baton of those in Hebrews 11, the baton of many, that many of those whom we consider to be heroes of the faith has now been passed to us. They pass that baton to us. Are we going to become someone's hero of the faith? That's a thought-provoking question. Will one day we be thought of as someone's hero of the faith? Musicians, would you come please? Setting Christ's likeness as our number one priority. Seeking purity in our daily lives. Surrendering daily to God. That's the baton that has been passed to each and every one of us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord Jesus, I I am relatively certain this morning that every one of us here have at least some part of our conscious being, a desire to be more like you. But I'm even more certain, Lord, that many like myself have found that much easier said than done. Lord, there have been things that have been given a place of higher priority in my life at times than becoming like you. There certainly have been areas of my life that that needed purity. There are certainly areas of my life that need to be surrendered daily to you. And Lord, I just believe that if that's true of me, it's probably true of every one of us in this room. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, to confirm in each of our hearts the truth of this very simple message today. Because you're the only one, Holy Spirit, that has the ability to make us like Jesus. Sister so-and-so 
who thinks we need to get better in our life, she can't make us like Jesus. I've proven that. Godly parents and grandparents who pray for the very best in, in our lives, I've proven that the prayers of my parents and grandparents didn't make me like Jesus. But only surrender to the one who lives inside of me who's cleaning me up, whose desire is to clean me up day by day by day. He has the ability to make me more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, I want you to give each of us that desire today to allow you to do the needed work in each of our hearts and lives. Again, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, If you're serious about wanting to become like Jesus, I want you by way of an uplifted hand to just tell Jesus, that's my heart's desire. Every one of you. If that's your heart's desire, just just let him know. You want to be like Jesus, let him know. And once you've let him know that, then what he wants to let you know is, I can do that if you'll allow me to do it. And the way that you allow me to do it is by setting Christ-like priorities, seeking purity, daily surrendering your life to Jesus. Would you stand with me, please? What are we singing? Okay. <laughs> Let's sing good, good Father. Good Father, that'll work. You know, can I just be really real with you for a while here? (laughs) When I think about the life of Jesus, compare it to my own, I fall so far short. I was thinking about this earlier this morning. We got home late Thursday night, actually Friday morning, early. And woke up, because my days and nights are mixed up. I woke up at 5.30, came to the office after I'd showered and cleaned up for the day. Same thing through the next night. I slept until like 1.30, and then I was ready to get up thinking I was still in Israel under eight hours time difference. By the way, for those of you who may be wondering, Thursday was a 31 and a half hour day for those of us who went on that trip. We got up to go to the airport at 12 o'clock their time, got on a plane at 5.30 their time, traveled to Frankfurt, Germany, got there at 9.30, immediately got on another plane for 10 hours and 40 minutes. Flew into Dallas, got our baggage, jumped in the car, and drove seven hours home. And have you ever been so tired you just couldn't get sleep? That's kind of the way I was. Didn't slept for three, four hours. 
And then yesterday afternoon, it hit me. We had a birthday party to go to in Periton, and I had been in the office yesterday morning, went home, watched a ball game on TV. It was really disappointing. <laughs> went to the party in Periton, and on the way, I mean, it just, it just hit me. And I was so exhausted. So exhausted that, I know this, none of this, this never happens to you folks, but it affected my mood. Didn't want to, I mean, that's my nature anyway. When I'm around people uh, and, and my battery has run down, so to speak, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to. So I uh, wasn't much what you would call the life of the party in Puritan, if you know what I mean. Or on the way down or on the way back. I got home about 6 o'clock and started watching the news, and thank the Lord that put me to sleep for about 45 minutes, and then my boxers decided it was time to eat, so they woke me up. I went and fed them, and it was 7 o'clock, and I told Brenda, I'm going to bed. And for the most part, I slept until 7 o'clock this morning. I, don't, I can't tell you the last time I've slept 12 hours. What I'm telling you this for is, is this. My personality, some of the my, my temperament, some of the, the things that I get involved in affect my moods. Do you think Jesus let anything affect his mood? Probably not. That's what I want. I, I want to live my life in such a way that my wife and daughters and grandkids... Don't want to say, really, I don't want to be around Grandpa this afternoon. So again, relationships, activities, possessions. I don't want them to be a priority in my life. I want being like Jesus to be the number one thing that I'm striving and living for every day. Is it going to continue to affect my mood? Probably. Until I stand in His presence. And friends, I'm going to be like Him. I'm never going to be in a bad mood ever again. I'm going to be the life of a heavenly party that lasts for eternity. That's the prize that I'm running this race for. Let's sing the song, Jacob.